Hey you, my entrepreneurial friend. Of 10 years of running my coaching business, I am going to finally teach business. And of course, I'm going to teach business with human design. Because the thing that I've discovered over the last decade is that the way everyone else taught me to run a business didn't freaking work for me. So over this last decade, to create a multiple seven-figure business, I've broken all the rules. I have done everything my way. I have looked experts in the face and downright said no, all to create something I love with greater ease and flow that literally is changing the world. And the best part is it doesn't feel like work at all. It feels like I get to hang out with my best friends and I am having a huge impact on the planet at the same time. So if you own a business that you want to finally maybe start, grow, or even scale, then come and join me on the 9th of May to discover how your human design can create the most beautiful, authentic success for you. For all the details, follow the link in the show notes. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Human Design Podcast with me, your host, Emma Dunwoody. I'm a qualified master coach and human behavior specialist, as well as being a qualified human design coach. And I work with clients every single day to answer the big questions. Who am I? Why am I here? And what is my purpose? I also assist them to transition from the person they think they should be to the person they really are on the inside. I teach people how to actually live their design instead of just knowing it. And if this is something that you want to do too, well, stay tuned or reach out for private coaching or human design unpacks where I show you exactly how to live your design. Hey, hey, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Human Design Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, I want to share something really amazing with you. And it's actually one of our new Millions of Millionaires sponsors. So to introduce this body graph chart software that we've been using, that's been mind blowing. So I want to welcome the amazing um, Taylor Dyson, who is my incredible operations manager. Welcome along, Taylor. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. This is actually um, something that we implemented when? Um, April. Yeah. And we were just trialing it out because they'd reached out to us um, in regards to sponsoring the podcast or something like that, wasn't it? And so it kind of wasn't Mm -hmm. even on our radar and we tried it out and we had such low expectations. And then what happened? Well, I remember sending you a message going, Emma, why are we not using this? Because I was mind blown. You know, we get a lot of requests for stuff like that. And, you know, there's new softwares all the time. And I clicked on it, like you said, with very low expectations. And I started looking through what they can do. And I had, I got so excited. You know, the MG in me was like, oh my God, we have to use this. And I saw the potential of it and it has delivered more than expected. It's really awesome. Amazing. Now, before we get into the actual numbers, because I know um, numbers with Taylor is a thing in our business. She loves to share all the all the numbers. Let's just tell the listeners exactly who it's for and what it is. Yeah. So it's a great tool for anyone who uses human design in their business. So if you're a human design reader, a human design coach, or just someone who uses human design in your business, if you, you know, 
incorporated into whatever you do. It's a way for you to embed an actual human design chart tool into your website. So, you know, if you want someone to get their human design chart, you probably send them to an outside platform somewhere, you know, oh, go to this website, put in your details and get your chart, whatever that platform might be. There's a couple big ones. And what's cool about this is that it allows you to put that tool on your own website and it's yours. So when someone comes and, you know, puts their information into your website, they get their chart and then you can hook up, hook it up to your email list, to your newsletter. You can have it linked to your own content. You can customize the reports afterwards that they get, you know, so it's your own descriptions of what, you know, this type is or this profile. So that's kind of what it is. Oh my God, I love it. And it's so cool because I actually remember when Jenna Zoe, because it must be the same software that Jenna Zoe used and before anyone else. Yeah, right. And I was always like, wow, her chart looks so beautiful and it's on her website. That's so cool. So yeah, when we started using it, I was like, this is beautiful. I'm really excited that we can do it. But let's talk hard numbers. Like we have had some serious success with this, um, just adding this to our business. So tell everyone a little bit about the growth that we've experienced through using this. Yeah. So since implementing it into our website in April, there have been over 4,000 people that have downloaded their chart through the website. And that's unique. That's not, um, you know, someone who does it twice because a lot of people will go back because they won't download the PDF or something, or they lost it or misplaced it. That's unique um, chart downloads. So it's even more for double for people doing it twice. Um, and it's been really amazing. It's more than tripled the size of the email list. And, you know, you can set up you know, sequences afterwards for people to, um, you know, give them more information and keep everything in-house. Yeah. And because one of the really big things for us is obviously human design made simple. So it gives us the opportunity to um, give our way of teaching human design directly to the people who want it. And I love that. I love that every single person that wants to get their chart, that downloads it, we can then support them on their journey straight away, which is of course what you set up because you're amazing to make sure that not only do they get their chart, but they also get this support, free content support that helps them as they're you know, new to human design and on their journey. So beautiful. So how do people access this? What's it, what's it called? And I know that there's a benefit for listeners of the podcast. Yes. So you can go to the link in the show notes, or you can go to bodygraphchart.com. And they have been kind enough to give the listeners of the human design podcast, a 50% off discount for 12 months, which is huge because it's already inexpensive to begin with. Um, and then the 50% discount is going to put it at $25 a month. That's in us dollars. So wherever you are in the world, it'll be, you know, a little bit different, but, um, 50% off for 12 months. And the code is human design podcast. And we'll put that in the show notes too, for everyone. And one of the other things I want to say, that's really cool about this chart tool is that, it's 100% customizable and it actually gives Chiron and the four arrows, which is what a lot of chart tools don't do that. So that's one thing that a lot of people are drawn to when they go to get our chart from our website is, oh, I can get the arrows because of it or my Chiron gates. I love that. It's so cool. So check out the show notes, people get on it because really it is such a powerful and as Taylor says, inexpensive tool, like it paid for itself in the first two days. I seem to remember first day I seem to remember. So it's so valuable. um, And it gives you the opportunity to really build your brand and your communication with your clients. So thank you. Go check it out. Hey, hey everyone. And welcome to today's episode. 
I am pumped and excited to share with you uh, someone I met, God, it's probably a year or so ago um, when he was launching a business that unfortunately didn't didn't get all the way there, which is really sad because I love the intention of it. Um, But you've always been a really incredible and inspiring person. So welcome to the podcast, Patrick Murphy. Thanks so much, Emma. I appreciate it. (laughs) So do you want to, for everyone out there listening, um, Patrick is a 6'2", pure manifesting generator, so sacral manifesting generator um, with uh, the cross, let me look, cross of confrontation. So, yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's it. Um, let us, before we dive in today, uh, we're going to talk about, and this is something that I think is really profound. We're going to talk about belonging at work and connection at work. I think this is so important, especially post pandemic. Um, I think I feel that these things are kind of shifting, but you're the expert on that. Like my experience is, you know, back in the day when I was in advertising and yeah, the whole, no one cared about um, connection or belonging. They just cared about getting shit done. But before we get into that, can you tell everyone a little bit about your backstory and, you know, how how did you get to where you are today? Yeah. So you and I actually share a background in advertising. So we yeah. do have that common connection. I was in the advertising world for a little over 10 years, actually almost 15 years, uh, working for companies like the Wall Street Journal and Pandora and doing advertising sales. And there were certain companies that I definitely found a sense of belonging at and certain ones that I didn't. And then um, I, I had always known that I wanted to start my own company. It's a dream I've had ever since I was a little kid, but I was so risk averse due to you know just some kind of wounding and conditioning and whatnot from you know family and, and other things that I just sat on a lot of these ideas and never brought them to fruition. The other piece was I didn't ask for help on the ones Mm. that I tried to do. And so that's been a huge part of my journey as well. But finally, the the universe just started screaming at me so loudly over a period of three years. um, The the idea that I had for Inlet, which was the company you referenced in the intro, uh, the mindful app for communities in the health, spiritual and self-improvement space, um, I'd had that for about three years but I was just mm-hmm. so scared to actually take the leap. The stories I was telling myself were, well, you need to save up X amount of money and have this much traction before you leave your you know, job, et cetera, et cetera. And I just joke around, the universe made me so miserable in my last job that I didn't have a choice. Like it yeah. literally just pushed me off the cliff with some help from friends and other people who were like, you, you need to do this. And so in January of 2020, left that career in advertising, left my career in advertising to launch my own startup and launched Inlet, ran it for about two and a half years, and then recently shut it down this spring after what was a really amazing run. You know, we had to pivot the company in the middle. It launched as one thing that did not work. We relaunched as something else. And that was actually gaining a lot of traction. And then I've got my own mental health story as a founder in, yeah. in that whole experience, yeah. which was definitely, you know, burnout and what ended up being just depression was a part of that as well. And yeah. since, since leaving that behind, 
Um, well, I don't like saying leaving it behind because it's always going to be with me, right? Like that experience is, is absolutely exactly. incredible. But now I'm stepping into doing public speaking, podcasting, and working with companies and corporations to help them create cultures of belonging and connection at work and peeling back the layers on what's going on, whether it be in their teams and their C-suite or as their, with their company as a whole, so that employees feel connected. They feel a sense of um, just ownership and purpose and connectivity at work because that's your greatest employee int- retention strategy, period. Yeah. You know, If yeah. anyone feels like they belong at work, you've got something sticky there. Yeah. And, and that's a really, really powerful thing. And so that's what I'm stepping into lately. So that's the maybe not so short that. version of. How yeah, no, I love it. I today. love the long version. I'll take it. Or the not so short version. I love it. Um, and I really want to get to that because I have um, in advertising, I have like literally my favorite job ever, you know, and I, I really will talk about that um, and the culture because the culture was very different. And this was an agency that was the, leading the way it was winning all the awards, but it all came down to their culture. Um, but before we get to that, can we dive in a little bit? Because I think one of the big things is, you know, um, I'm pretty sure, you know, that, that my mental health journey was actually the journey that triggered all of this. So at 28, I was diagnosed with depression and panic disorder. Um, and you know, for a number of years, I considered taking my own life and I was given this diagnosis that I, um, would never heal my, my depression and panic disorder, but I would, learn to manage it. And that was the thing that wasn't, that just wasn't an option for me. I couldn't live my life that way. Um, And, you know, fundamentally, I know because I am this, you know, pretty uh, optimistic, joyous human being. So if that was taken away from me at the time, I was like, well, that's just not an option. I would love to really hear if you don't mind, because it's great always to hear people talking about their, their challenge with mental health, especially men, because I think that men don't necessarily Um, talk about it as much as they possibly can. Um, Can you talk a little bit to how, you know, maybe burnout played into it uh, as as an MG, was there functional burnout? So you're still turning up, you're still doing the work, but you completely lost all connection to the lust for life or that life force energy. And what did you do to sort of navigate your way through your mental health journey? Like what were the things that potentially were scary but you knew were correct for you as you navigated back to, um, you know, better mental health? Yeah, so um, it, it really started in August of last year. Well, it started, let's say, three years prior because I hadn't taken a true vacation in three years. I was putting so much pressure on myself at my last advertising job to perform and hit my numbers and and all of this stuff that I just wasn't taking vacation and then leave that to start inlet. And that was just a whole nother journey in and of itself. Mm. And there were definitely points along the road where, cause I remember in October of 2020, it was very clear that the pre the first version of inlet wasn't working, but I didn't know what to do next. And there was a very, very dark three-week period there where I just had to trust my gut that was just saying, you you don't know what's next right now, but it'll come. So just trust it. Because the only logical option I could see was actually shutting it down. 
Yeah. And I've got investors, I've got, you know, other people. But then after that, once I got the aha moment for what was next, I gave the team direction. I could have taken a solid two to three weeks off in December of 2020. And I desperately needed it, but I was still showing up every day being like, you've got to do something. This is a startup. You know, the, it, there was just a lot of stories that I was yeah. telling myself as a result of it. And so I didn't take a vacation then. And then finally we relaunched in February of 2021. And then it was off to the races from there. Yeah. And fast forward, you know, to August of last year of 2021, we were at a turning point. I could have taken a two week vacation then because things were fine. The team was rocking and rolling, but we needed to go into fundraising. And I was just completely burnt out. Mind you, I had taken a little mini vacation. I like I booked it on a Sunday and left and went to Mexico on a Wednesday in July. And it was four days, but like four days is not going to cure three years of not no. taking a vacation. Mm-mm. It's not going to cure two years of really, really intense work of founding a startup. But in my mind, I was like, well, I checked the box. I took a vacation. Yeah. (laughs) And so August, I just started waking up. It's like, just like you said, the life force had just dropped out of me Mm. and I was spinning my wheels and I was putting so much pressure on myself, but not getting anything done. And this cycle continued for a few months. Mind you, I kind of consider myself like a layperson's expert in mental health. And, yeah. you know, because of my own journey, because I'm, you know, I read all the books, I listen to all the podcasts, I've really dived, you know, I read a ton of studies, I really dive deeply into this. And so, what the story I was telling myself was you have all the tools, you just, which one do you need to use? Like, what do you need right now? Yeah. When really, I just needed a full system reset. It yeah. wasn't a freaking meditation that I needed. It wasn't a weekend retreat. It was a full system reset. It was yeah. check the fuck out <laughs> yeah. for a week or two and yeah. then come back rejuvenated and you'll hit the ground running and you'll be good. Yeah. And that was really the turning point. And it really, it, it got so bad that I was actually having suicidal thoughts in December yep. of last year and went really, really deep into it. Um, Mm. at one point, not necessarily planning anything, you know, or whatnot, but I was in the middle of a panic attack, which I hadn't had in years. Yeah. And I remember it was a Saturday night. I had a Christmas party to go to, and I was just about ready to walk out the door when I recognized that I was in the panic attack, shortness of breath, just really, I mean, I was, I was in it and I was like, oh, you're in a panic attack right now. And then I paused and I sat there. And I said, hmm, okay, well, we need to get to the bottom of this. Are we going to go there right now? Are we willing to go there? Meaning I'm going to go sit on the back porch under the moonlight. I'm going to hold space for myself and I'm going to go into this story. And I went deep into it. And I heard this voice that just said, if it's going to be like this, I don't want to live. And I said, what do you, okay, well, what's this? And it was just like the way that you're living right now. And I was like, okay. And I said, well, what do you want? And it was like, I just heard this voice and said, I want to die. But in that moment, I was very aware that what was happening, I was not seeking a physical death. Yeah. I was seeking exactly an energetic death. To me. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I was seeking an energetic death and I was seeking an ego death. 
Yeah. And, and I went so far as to actually ask it like, okay, like what, you know, like, do you want me to go and actually like pull out something that we could do this with? And I was mm-hmm. like, no, 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 that's a little too far. <laughs> yeah. And mind you, I'm safe this entire time. Yeah. Like I'm holding myself this entire time. I can't stress that enough. Yeah. But the, the really crazy thing is that I went through all of this, came out of it on the other side. It was probably like 45 minutes or so was completely exhausted. And I was like, well, we're definitely not going to this Christmas party. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I was like, you just did work, but I never told my therapist about it. I never once told my therapist I'm having suicidal thoughts. I'm this bad. Cause again, the story I was telling myself was like, well, you've got all these tools, you know, you've got so much expertise. You've been on your health and healing journey. Like, you know what to do. And then finally in January, she just looks at me and she goes, Patrick, you're depressed. And I burst out laughing because I was like, oh my God, you're right. I've got every symptom. Yeah. And from that day, it started getting better because I named it. It took a little time, like not necessarily vacation, but I just let myself like wallow in it without putting pressure on myself to like, stop binge eating on ice cream and doing all these crappy behaviors that I had been shaming myself previously for. And I started to feel better. And it's, you know, it's taken four or five months to like really get out of it. And I would say only in the last like six weeks have I really emerged out of it. It took a while because I was pretty deep in it, you know, as as you've heard. But yeah, yeah, that's that's the story. What a thank you so much for sharing. It's such a powerful story. And I think it brings up some really important things. Like as you were speaking, like early on in the story, I was just like, there's this number one, you're American. And that means that your culture is like, you guys only get two weeks holiday a year. Like, excuse me, but that's fucked. Um, and Agreed. you're a man, you know? So you have all this, this conditioning of like, I just have to be strong and push through and all of that bullshit. And, you know, whether you, you subscribe to it or not, I think this is one of the things that a lot of people miss is that we do our own individual work but we are still a part of the collective consciousness. So oftentimes we're still playing out parts of our conditioning because it's in the collective consciousness, you know. So you might have done a lot of work balancing um, the the divine feminine and the masculine within you. You might have healed a lot of that stuff within you. And as as a being, the way you interact with others, you're not that 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 person, but you're still that person to you. And, you know, this is something we have to be so conscious of because, um, and I think this happens a lot to people on their healing journey. I know it did for me is that we're giving everything we've got to everyone else, but we're not treating ourselves with the same love and attention. Um, And yeah, I love what you said as well. Like this burnout piece is that oftentimes MGs and generators, they're like, okay, well, if I'm in functional burnout, what do I do? Nothing. That's the point. You have to rest. And And I mean, it's really hard. (laughs) Yeah. And it is really hard, especially for MGs, because we have so much energy and we want to go, we want to create, we, we, you know, we can't even sit still on a podcast recording. Like we're constantly nodding our heads. I just did a recording with Jess Barbaco actually. And she's like, you're hilarious. Like you just lean forward and you're nodding and you're in it. I'm like, that's my energy. I'm just on, like when I'm on, I'm on. Um, Yeah. I feel that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's real. I think it's really powerful. And it, it, what you did in that moment, like actually being able to hold space for yourself. And I, you know, I love and thank you for being really super clear with everybody. Like it wasn't like you were just going to jump off the building or anything, but really starting to understand that oftentimes what's going on, 
you know, is a metaphor for something deeper. And when you started talking about that, I'm like, oh my God, this is so an ego death. It's like, there's this part of you that just doesn't want to force yourself and push yourself and cane yourself and um, do all of those things that society says you should do to succeed. So what a beautiful gift that you gave yourself in that moment. So amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it was immediately I realized how powerful it was. I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, I just did some, I'll toot my own horn a little bit, like kind of master level work (laughs) with self-care, but it, I, I I literally was able to see the energetics of suicide yeah. in that moment. And it just so hit me. It was like, oh no, you like, you want the pain to die. Yeah. You want this old version of yourself to die. You don't actually physically want to die. Mind you, it's, it could be incredibly physically painful and jarring and whatnot. And so, you know, as, as anxiety and depression manifests itself. I mean, we, we know this, right. You and I've both been there, mm-hmm. but it, yeah, it was so powerful. I'm so grateful for that experience. I just wish that I had shared it with my mm-hmm. therapist. Mm-hmm. And do you know, like, was it conscious that you weren't sharing it or is it just these stories of like, oh, I've got all the tools, you know, she can't help me. So I'll just focus over here. Like, was it conscious or was there part of you that was kind of like, cause I know for me, it took me ages to go to someone. Cause I was like, oh God, I don't want someone to tell me I'm crazy or there's something wrong with me or put me in hospital or, you know, take what little power I have left away from me. So I was like, right. it was a really scary concept for me, but was it for you or was it just that you were so trapped in the pattern of thinking that you should fix it yourself? It was the latter. I, it never crossed my mind because once I went through that experience, I was like, oh, I'm good. Like I've got myself. I, I can hold myself. And this is kind of that double-edged sword of having done a lot of my own work and having been in therapy for 10 plus years, but like the real meat of it being the last five. And it literally never crossed my mind. Yeah. Not once. Wow. Wow. And again, that sort of says a lot about the culture that we live in as well, you know, because it's, um, and it's getting better. Don't get me wrong. Like it really is really getting better. This the whole conversation about mental health, but I don't necessarily think it's an uplifting one. So the mainstream conversation around mental health, I know for me, um, I was not interested in that story. You know, like, I don't want to hear that this is happening to me. Um, I knew that I'd done something. There was some choice I'd made to get me there. I just needed to know how I got there so I could get out of it. That was my concept anyway. That's what I believe was true. And that was true for me. Um, And I mean, everyone's journey is different. So one of the things I think is really cool about what you said is how you could see the energetics of suicide. And I've actually just had this conversation. We've just been talking about We've just been talking about um, plant medicine and how psilocybin is now making this massive inroad into personal development. And there is so much value for it. You know, it's it's super, like almost non-toxic. It can give breakthrough results in a really short period of time. Um, It gives us this connection to higher self that so many people don't get to access. But one of the things for me, and I'm, I'm like, it's not good or bad. You know, I'm always like, it's not good or bad. There's a place for everything. But one of the things for me is that people are giving away their power to um, the ayahuasca, to whatever plant medicine it is. It doesn't matter. Right. And what you've just shared is this, this is what I've been talking about to people. Like we all have that opportunity to have that experience 
So one of the the things that I think is really important and I think a lot of people are missing is that in this this journey to go and journey, if you like, um, people are like giving their power away. And what I believe is that we have access to all of that all the time. Now, yes, there are a lot of people that are really heavily conditioned, living in their their fear um, expression, and the the difference that that'll make in just one plant plant medicine journey is is massive. But what I love about what you've just said is it's like you're already accessing your higher self. You're accessing, you know, um, everything that people off doing plant medicine are accessing in your everyday life in the middle of a panic attack because you've built the muscle. And I think this is one of the things to me that I think is so important because I know for me, I mean, I've never been able to do anything the, the quick way, you know, like every time I try, the universe is like, uh-uh, you have to go around a few times. Like, <laughs> yeah. But this is what I think is really profound, what you've just shared is like where people are looking to add something to themselves, to be able to connect with themselves the way you're connecting with yourself. And we don't need to. It's just a muscle that we can build. Do you want to add to that? Like, what, what do you what do you say to that? I I completely agree. I think that, let's say, plant medicines and, and even some, to an extent, let's say, traditional pharmaceuticals, I'm going to put a huge asterisk by that yeah, <laughs> because yeah. they have benefited quite a lot of people. Um I think that there absolutely is a place for them. Mm. And the biggest thing to me comes down to intention. Yeah. Plain and simple. And I think even though plant medicines are largely non-addictive, you people can rely on them in an unhealthy way. And kind of like you said, I actually have a teacher who always says you are the medicine. Yeah. And she's absolutely right. And it was a long journey for me to get to that place where I can simultaneously hold space for myself on the back porch while exploring and going into suicidal thoughts and the root of them while also being in it myself. You know, when I, when I use the phrase master level work earlier, I fully recognize I still have plenty to learn. You know, that's the only constant that I discuss, you know, that I have in my life is just the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. Yeah. Period. Yeah. And it, it did take a lot of work to get to that point where mm. I can be in my own discomfort and peel back the layers and separate the parts and the voices And my higher self versus my ego versus my wounded self versus let's say inner child, whatever it might be and, and pick apart the nuances, but it, it took a while to develop that relationship with myself Mm. and to be able to quiet myself and my mind enough to where I could actually listen and kind of learn how I talk to myself, because sometimes it's yeah. voices in my head. Sometimes it's a feeling in my body. Sometimes it's a vision and learn what each of those mean and where they light up and also which ones to ignore. Yeah. And that's been, that's been, I would say probably the, the latest part of my journey is shifting from this constant loop of I've got to better myself. I've got to heal more, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, into, Hey, let's just live in the joy 
Let's live in the pleasure that you have called in. Let's get to enjoy life because you have cultivated yourself and your life to a point where now you get to enjoy it. You don't have to be in this health and healing loop all the time. And that's been, that's been an interesting and difficult at times transition as well, just because for me personally, that's an edge because growing up as the son of an alcoholic father and a, you know, in a household that had uh, you know, an alcoholic, a lot of codependency, et cetera, et cetera, in there with, when things got quiet, that was where my spidey senses really, you know, it was just kind of waiting for the next shoe to drop. Yeah. And so relaxation and calm have, have always been an edge to me. And, you know, I've, I've certainly learned certain practices and ways in which to do that, but now it's, you know, continuing to climb that mountain of, Hey, right now I've, you know, kind of at the top, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and yeah, maybe there's a taller one over there that I'll go conquer, you know, go conquer next, but like life looks pretty damn good right now. Yeah. And so just enjoy it and be in the beauty and be in the pleasure of it. Yeah. Oh my God. I love that. I love so much of what you just said. One thing that I heard when you were talking about yourself, you're like, we, we, and this is something that I've done for so many years. Like it's the point sometimes I was like, am I weird? But I always say we, like we are going to go and do this. And it's because I have this, this conversation with my higher self um, and the other parts of me. I love what you said around the learning the voices to ignore. You know, when you said that, I'm like, yeah, that's been my game changer. Because when I was doing depression and anxiety, I was listening to all of those voices, all of them, because they're the loudest. They're the loudest freaking voices, well, at least in my head. Um, So really learning to to let them go. And, you know, meditation was a massive part of my journey. Um, And I love what you said about relaxing and resting and that it's an edge for you. I think this is something, especially for MGs, like that can be an edge for all of us. And one of the, the words that I've really sat with, now for a long time is relax because even if I'm in meditation and you know I've set the intention for stillness and nothingness which is you know one of my favorite intentions um and do I often get there I would say not all the time not half the time but um that that word relax has actually been the word that's helped me transition because relax just means to me like just just let go of everything like okay I'm just gonna relax and being in that space especially as an mg that's when the magic comes in you know we can get very addicted to our high energy you know wanting to get shit done you know moving all the time jumping from one thing to the other and get really really addicted to all of the the chemicals in our brain that go with that so i think that that relax piece is really profound i also love what you said around this process of you know it takes time and that is one thing that that I would encourage all the listeners, like, yeah, it does take time. It does take time to build this sort of relationship with yourself. It does take time to build these these tools, habits, patterns, absolutely. But you build them and no one can take them away from you. This is the thing that I've learned is like I can get, and I have got lots of help externally, you know, whether it's from, I don't know, like recently I've done breath work or Akashic Records or, um, you know, intuition or whatever it is. Like, 
I go to external people all the time, but these things, the, these parts of ourselves that we build the muscle to hold space or to listen to the higher self or whatever it is, these are the powerful things, the most powerful things that we have. And I love what your teacher said that, you know, you are the medicine. Absolutely. 100% believe that. And, um, you know, we're always, you know, lifelong learners. As soon as we commit to being that lifelong learner, I feel like what we need arrives when we need it. Um, and yeah, that's super powerful. I love it. So let's talk about what you're doing now, because I do really, as I said, like you, I've got this, um, my, I sometimes call it like my first incarnation in advertising. Um, and I went from my first job being at a TV network, one of our free-to-air TV networks. It was the leading network at the time. I'm 18. Um, I'm a woman. I am treated like dirt, paid next to nothing. My first desk was literally they took doors off a cupboard and put a chair on it, and that was my first desk. Oh, wow. Uh, I know. My boss called me the C word. Um, quite often, uh-huh, exactly. Um, there was like, it was off the charts, the worst culture you could possibly go into. Like it was the worst. Then the, I had a quick stint at another agency in between, like very short, but then I went to my favorite, like the best job I've ever worked at. And this was an agency, um, and called Cleminger, Cleminger, Melbourne, and they were just smashing it at everything. And one of the things about Cleminger was it's a family business, or it was a family business. It's it's Cleminger BBDO now, and I think it's just BBDO. Um, but this business, because it was run by the two brothers, um, everyone, like we were all this one big family, and everyone got along, like half the place was married to the other half of the place, like everyone like lived it and breathed it. You know, I remember having this experience sitting at my desk and I was still quite new, so I wanted to impress the media director. Um, and he comes down and he sits at my desk and I'm like, oh, God, what's he going to do? Like what boundaries are you going to cross or what's he going to tell me? What's he going to, you know? Yeah. And he literally <laughs> says, what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, I'm just finishing up this, um, this planning document, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I don't pay you to be here. Go home. And I was just like, what the fuck just happened, you know? And I knew in that moment, I was like, okay, I def this place is as good as it feels. So from your expertise, like what's going on? What's going on with culture and how can we, we can not have that experience of my first job where I literally felt like I was, you know, absolute crap and they treated us all like dirt, Um to this beautiful business where you feel like, well, I'm a part of the team. I'm an important part of the team. Like at one point, this business, um, my group head was away. The clients had flown in and they needed something and they had this presentation and they were like, could you just throw something together for me? And I'm literally like, and I threw something together right? and I did all this work. I invested all this time into it and they sent me to fucking Fiji. You know, they're like, here, have a quick, you know, like book an, book an extra week or whatever, but we want to pay for your accommodation for a couple of nights and your flights and that sort of thing. I was like, wow. So what is it, you know, how do people experience these, these um, corporate environments where they can feel like they belong and connected? Because is it normal? I think it depends on if it's normal. 
You know, I mean, I, like I said, I've similar to you, certainly not to the dream that you experienced in your first job, but I've been in corporate environments that were toxic and disconnected. And I've been in others that were very connected. And for example, when I was working for the wall street journal, our team, and this was, it was almost just happenstance because it wasn't like top down, you know, this is news corp, right? I mean, it's a big, big corporation. It wasn't like top down. They were trying to create a connection of, you know, belonging or a a culture of connection and belonging. It just so happened that we all got along so well. Mm -hmm. And some of the people on my team are still some of my best friends to this day. I mean, I was texting with a couple of them three hours ago and that's a regular occurrence. That's so crazy. My mom used to work at at News Corp and her best friend, she, they met at, at News Corp as well. And they're still friends today. Oh, that's so wild. Wow. Okay. So maybe there is something to it. I don't know. (laughs) That's not what they say. um, Anyway, anyway, I'm not going there. Right. Um, But the thing is, is I I started to unpack this because as I've moved into this work, I sat down and I just examined my own kind of history, you know, work history. And, you know, how did I feel at each job? How did I feel on each team? And Mm -hmm. what were the factors that contributed to that? And when I was at WSJ, really the bottom line was we all had each other's backs, plain Mm -hmm. and simple. And we still do to this day. The first 20 minutes of every day was spent checking in with each other. How were you doing? How was your night last night? Oh, did you go out with clients? You know, et cetera, et cetera. And what I have found is that belonging and trust and connection, it's not built in the big moments. Mm. It's built in the small ones. It's built in the moments where your manager checks in with you as a person, checks in with your heart, your soul, your well-being, your mental mm-hmm. health. And they take the first couple minutes of every meeting to really just ask about you. Because this old paradigm of leave yourself at home when you come into the office, it's complete bullshit because mm-hmm. who can actually do that? You know, if your father yeah. is suffering from cancer or your child is in the hospital, how much of you is really showing up at yeah. work? Yeah. And should you be expected to just put that aside and get your shit done? No, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. We, we cannot do that. Yeah. And, and so what we've seen in the last couple of years, you know, as tragic and horrific as the pandemic has been, there have been some gifts that have come of it because it, there's, there's beauty in the destruction that it brought to an extent. And, you know, if you look at it through a certain lens, one of which being what we're referring to as the great resignation, where people, you know, tens of millions of people have left their jobs because they've just been like, screw this. This isn't worth it. It's not worth what I'm getting paid. It's not worth the hours that I'm working. It's not worth the toll that it's taking on my life, my family, and my mental health. Yeah. And so space has cleared and and we're feeling the pain of that companies are feeling the pain of that and that's another factor here is is being able you know we referenced it earlier with my own mental health story but can we just hold space for this discomfort can yeah. we hold space for the crumbling 
and the destruction that's happening because things need to crumble so we can clear away the rubble first and then build something new on top of it. Beautifully said. I love that. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> well, and it's the, and this is the piece, isn't it? I love what you said. You have to sit in the discomfort. The entire that's what we're living through right now, right? We are living through life that is uncomfortable because we're getting to this better place. I love that. Yeah, and and we especially in the corporate world, there's just such little tolerance for discomfort. I mean, and I get it. It's business. You want certitude. You're seeking certitude. You want the path to profitability. You want the path to the customers. You want the path to the next sale. And sometimes that needs to take the back burner because corporations are living, breathing entities in and of themselves. And they are made up of people. Business is people, period. Yeah. Like you don't have a business unless you have someone running it. And if you're not taking care of those people that are running it, you've got really big problems. Yeah. And there was actually a study that was just released. Um, Deloitte commissioned it, uh, international study that included the US, Australia, the UK, and I think one other country, maybe Canada, that I can't quite remember. I apologize. But it was a study that was focused on what is the C-suite's role in employee health and well-being. And one of the questions that was asked, so they surveyed half the people were employees, half the respondents were in the Mm C-suite. And so for the question of how good, or, you know, what would you rate your mental health to the employees, the percentage that they rated excellent or good was 59%. When the same survey, when they asked the C-suite, what do you think your employees mental health is excellent or good they rated excellent or good at 84 percent yeah there's a 20 plus point gap in the way that the c-suite perceives the employees mental health versus the employees themselves yeah rating their own mental health yeah and there were multiple other questions in the survey where there was a large gap between Mm -hmm. what the c-suite believes and then what the employees are actually feeling and that right there is indicative in and of itself of why this great resignation is happening. But the question is who's going to capitalize on this opportunity because it's a phenomenal opportunity that we have right now to shift workplace paradigms, to shift the way that we show up to work, to shift the way that the C-suite shows up for employees and shift the way that companies are showing up for the world, plain Mm -hmm. and simple. Yeah. Oh my God, we need it. You know, it's time that, that this shift does happen. I think that's fascinating. Like <clears throat> when you were talking, it really made me think of one of the, the entrepreneurs, business people that I just really admire and have followed for many years. And sadly he's gone way too early is Tony Shea, who um, he created Zappos. And I think that yep. was, you know, he started cre- to create this culture. Like, you know, I'm going to take care of my customers. I'm going to take care of my people. Um, and I think this is something that, um, you know, he was really at the forefront of this shift that corporate really needs to to have. And, and that is that this piece of being more in touch with the people on the ground, removing this hierarchy, you know, where um, 
because I know, especially when I was younger, like the early, the first few years, like it was scary to even go anywhere near the 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 leader's office office do you know what I mean and like if you had to go to anyone's office you'd be like crapping your pants that you'd done something wrong right. and yeah. that in itself isn't a really good indication of um being in touch you know like I, I remember that when I was when I resigned from that first job the <clears throat> the head of sales he who never usually spoke to the assistants anyway like it was kind of just a known thing he came in and he put his hand on my shoulder and said, um, sorry to see you go, sweetie, because he didn't even know my name. You know, wow. I'd been there for nearly three years and there was only like maybe 12 of us. So it's not like there was lots of assistance and I'd done so much work, but still like, so, and yes, that was a long time ago because I'm 47, but this is the the piece that I think, you know, what you're talking about is like, as you were speaking, you know, what do the what did those people need? What did I need? I needed to matter. And I think that's the thing at Cleminger, I felt like I mattered. I was an important, it didn't matter where I fit in the hierarchy. One of the one of the the things that our media director was really big about is that no one has titles, like no one has titles on their cards. We'll be really clear about what your job description is, but I'm not giving anyone a title because as soon as I give people a title, this hierarchy happens and he never wanted to create the hierarchy. He just wanted to create specialists that were doing what that, you know, the best they could. And yes, you'd get promoted to do different things, but I always thought that was really important that it was super important that people felt like they mattered and that there wasn't this like really um, tight structure that kind of said, well, I'm more important than you because I'm higher up on the ladder. Right. Exactly. And I'm actually going to split this mattering piece into two, because what I've seen is that there's two ways in which people need to feel like they matter. One, you need to feel like you matter to the business as a whole, which really connects with kind of purpose. Why am I here? Do I feel a sense of mission and belonging and purpose in terms of what I'm showing up for day to day? And then the second piece is, do I matter as a human being? to my manager? Do I matter as a human being to the C-suite? Do they care about my mind, body, and soul? Do they care about me just as a person, not just a cog in a machine, but both really need to be true. Cause you could have a really amazing manager and you're just not in the right role and you're not feeling a sense of purpose. Yeah. Those people are going to leave or find a new job in the organization. And then the flip side is also true. And I would say it's even more true. Because a lot of times people leave managers, they don't necessarily leave companies because I've worked for amazing companies in the past where I absolutely loved it. The culture was amazing, but my manager just wasn't willing to pony up and fight for me. And people need to feel like you've got their back because I knew, let's say at, at WSJ, I knew my manager had my back. I mean, she went and fought for me to get two raises within the span of 11 months and didn't bat an eye. And I just, and to this day, she's still one of my good friends. She was actually, it was a pivotal conversation with her that I had to make the leap to start Inland. And, but I knew that she had my back and we would have done anything for that woman Yeah, because 
we, we felt like we belonged. She made yeah. us feel like we belonged and, and it's, it's hard to achieve, but there's, there's certain things you can do. Well, I don't want to say it's hard to achieve. Um, it, you know, in certain situations, you know, it can be, or it can feel like it's an uphill battle because again, you know, what is the balance between sharing too much of yourself or bringing too much of yourself to work and, you know, kind of having that appropriate work-life fluidity, if you will, I'm not going to call it balance, just fluidity. Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) yeah. And what I found is really, it's about creating the container and it's about Mm. creating, it, it starts with intention. And, you know, what's the intention of your company? Every company has values. How many companies can like actually talk about their values? I remember when I was working at Pandora, they talked about them all the time and they absolutely lived them. Yeah. Whereas at WSJ, I have no clue what the company's values were. Granted, we had this microculture on our team that worked really great. And, you know, like I said, we're still best friends to this day. So some of this stuff happened by accident, but there's, there's the spoken culture. And I think the more important piece is there's unspoken culture in every single company. And you and I, maybe would call this shadow culture, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's the stuff that everybody's talking about that kind of the unwritten rules that people know exist and people operate by them, but we don't talk about it. And we just kind of shove it under the rug and, you know, maybe it's just something that it, it's, it's uncomfortable, right? We yeah. don't want to bring this to the forefront. That's what creates toxicity. That's what creates problems yeah. in companies. And it's the companies, especially now that are willing to sit down and have these tough conversations and peel back the layers on the unspoken culture, because that's the key. Peeling back the layers in the unspoken culture. Some of it actually might be good. It's not all bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's not all bad, but which do we want to keep and bring into the light and name and hold and make that part of the spoken culture and which do we not want to keep, but let's still bring it into the light. Let's name it. Let's talk about it. Let's own it, but say, Hey, this needs to change. We see that this is affecting all of you. We have heard from you. And we, as an executive team, because it starts with the executive team, if the executive team's not, I mean, this is 101, but like if yeah. they're not embodying it, the rest is going to be shit. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's so powerful. Like back when my business was all in corporate, we talked a lot um, and I ran a lot of workshops and dealt with a lot of, you know, coached a lot of C-level executives about exactly this. Um, and at the end of the day, I love the word you use because it is the, it's the toxicity. It's the toxicity that we find. Um, and I know for me in my first, in my first job, like, you know, like literally there was a culture of the, the unwritten rule was you should just be grateful to work here. We're the number one rating network. Um, you know, you should just be grateful that you have a job and you have a job. Yeah, if you're having a ride on that, you've got a problem. (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and I love the, the thing that I think is also, it's really powerful. Like we all, all have those bosses. It's so funny. You t- you're talking about that, that one that you're still close to. You still as a confidant, like my favorite boss, who was my last boss at this job. So it's interesting. Like I, I didn't want to leave it because of him, because he was the best person I'd ever worked for, but I couldn't do this job anymore. Like I had to leave this toxic environment. I hated it. And it was funny. He was the first boss and I'd worked for two other women. 
he was the first boss that was like, this culture isn't okay. The way they treat women here isn't okay. So it was the first time that I sort of felt safe as a young woman in this environment. Um, And funnily enough, he was my last boss in advertising at a different network. We worked together and same deal. Like he actually got me across. They created a position for me. You know, we did some really fun stuff. And to this day, he is a dear friend who literally just texted me this morning. He now does... um, neuroscience so he does all you know kind of similar stuff to me but the point is um one of the things I think can be challenging with this culture and I'd love your uh, view on it especially with my experience is that we have these these bosses like Pete and Pete from a um human design point of view like he's a manifester he is um a splenic manifester, he kind of just does his own thing, walks his own path, and people are just like either on the Pete train or not on the Pete train, you know, but he's always been very charismatic. Now, from there is this challenge that there are just these people who are naturally charismatic. When I was running a team, like all of the people that worked with me, they were like, oh, my God, thank you so much. You know, you're the best boss I've ever had. Um, and same deal because I always listen to them. I asked them about their life, did all of those things. But some of us it comes naturally to. Some of us have the great opportunity to have leaders that that model it for us. So that also gets ingrained in us as well. But how can we help people that, because I, I actually, in my coaching business in corporate, I was known for working with what I called the problem child. You know, the one that's like really, really has so much potential in the team, but is just an asshole to everybody. So I used to oh, work yeah. with that person over and over and over from business to business, because I always believe like we just have to unlock their greatness and, and, you know, move them away from their pain and fear, you know, like, like, or not move them away from it, but move them through it. So what's your advice for people? Let's say they're out there, they're listening, they're managing a team. They know that they're not doing a great job of it. They know that there's a breakdown in their team feeling like they belong, like they're, um, you know, like there's this great connection what would be your tips? Like how do leaders shift from being, you have to do this the way I tell you to do it into a way that they can build this more belonging culture within their team? Yeah. I think first and foremost, it starts with listening, just Mm. plain and simple. And it's, you've got to listen. You've just got to pause and you've got to listen to what's going on. And both externally like with your team members and the people that you're managing, but you've also got to listen internally too. And, you know, this could sometimes get into some dark night of the soul stuff because it's like people get locked into, you know, a certain way of doing things and a certain way of managing. But if they have the awareness and, you know, and you mentioned like if they, they realize something's not working, you know, where do I need to shift? It really just gets into a growth mindset. And, you know, some people have more of a capacity for that than others. Um, I think really great coaching is definitely beneficial because we, we get tunnel vision, right. And we can only see what we see and just, and and this is part of the work that I do is going into companies and going into teams and just saying, let me tell you what I see. And, you know, talking to team members, talking to the C-suite, seeing where the disconnects are. And so very often it really just helps to look externally, but then, you know, on an, on an internal basis, you know, if, if you're willing to sit down and have that conversation with your team, maybe you need somebody else in there who's on another team or another executive, you know, a trusted person 
just in there to listen and to kind of hold space. But it really starts with setting the container. It's mm-hmm. setting the container for that meeting. And in, you know, if, if it's far enough down the road, it's probably going to be a series of meetings, a series of discussions, but you need to establish the rules mm-hmm. for that meeting. And maybe it's just, you know, this is an exercise that I'll do usually with two people, but could also work with multiple people just might take a while. Everybody gets two or three minutes to speak and you just speak. And if you and I were doing it, we would just go back and forth until we can't talk anymore until it's all laid out on the table. And it's, it's all just sitting there and you're saying, okay. And, and sometimes you know, in conflict, it's like, you just get so tired that you forget why you were arguing in the first place. 100%. <laughs> and then you actually find the points of connection. That's really what it's about. It's mm-hmm. about bringing, and, and I've got other tools and, and methods for bringing people back to points of connection Yeah, and building that foundation. And, and then it, the next piece is behavior change, you know, because nothing changes unless you actually change your behavior. Yeah. And as you and I both know, I mean, we've rewired our systems and our brains a few times in our lives, right? Yeah. That can be, it can be an uncomfortable process showing up in a different way, you know, because maybe a manager, maybe their first boss and or series of bosses or companies, it's like, no, you didn't talk about personal stuff. You didn't bring your your, your your person into the workplace. You just walked in and you're a cog in a machine. So that's the way you were trained. So maybe actually listening to your team members' personal stories is wildly uncomfortable for you. Yeah. But hey, like that's the best possible thing that yeah. you can do. And it's how the whole world's going to change, you know, like actually starting to value people for the individual that stands or sits in front of you as opposed to the output that they create. You know, that behaviour change piece was always, um, you know, that's the most powerful thing. I think many for many years people were just teaching a lot of this this change management but not not actually implementing it or not getting you know, giving people ways to actually implement it. You know, one of the greatest, um, you know, things that I would always teach that would be like game changers was listening skills, you know, active listening, actually holding space for someone to speak, waiting till they'd finished, not being in your mind, making sure all your attention's on the other person um, and then repeating back. So what I'm hearing, you know, because then all of a sudden they start to realize, oh, shit, I'm just seeing everything through my perspective. I'm not actually hearing you at all. I'm not seeing what you're going through at all. So I think it's really, you know, there's so many tools that can bring teams together in, in a much more profound way. But I just, just before we finish up, I'd love to hear about, like, what's your prediction for the future when it comes to corporate and how co- how we're going to work in a a corporate environment and let's say as we you know through the frame of human design we move towards the new paradigm we're going to be more individualistic we're going to be more aligned to our authenticity our truth um you know resources and abundance is going to be a lot easier so we're going to be doing things more because we want to do them so what's your vision for corporate how's corporate going to look 10 years from now you know it is as you were speaking uh simon sinek popped into my mind and, i love you know, him he's a yeah, he's great. He's a, a, an incredible student of leadership and, and a speaker on it and whatnot. And I remember him saying once that 
you know, people, they, they find a product and then build a company around that and just plug people in to the product. And he was like, what if you just got a bunch of people together and figured out what they were passionate about and then built a company around that? And the product came from internal Mm -hmm. and you touched on it. You know, people are, you know, especially like certainly millennials, but definitely Gen Z, they are, they're not putting up with this shit. <laughs> I yeah, mean, yeah. they are, they're looking for companies that truly align with their value systems so that they can live their values day in and day out. And that's not always easy. It's certainly a noble, you know, it's something to strive for, for sure. But I absolutely think that it's possible. Yeah. And it's going to take some big paradigm shifts within some companies, you know, especially these bigger, older, established kind of old school corporations that are really going to have to take a look at themselves. And, but the thing is, there's, there's only good that can come from it. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. companies in so many ways, I mean, nobody loves laying people off, but that's just such a common practice in yeah. this you know, in the corporate space, you know, and it started in the eighties or maybe in the seventies and was like, you know, perpetuated by like the kind of the Jack Welch GE culture and whatnot, but companies are willing to do that and sit with that discomfort pretty often. You Mm. know, we hear about it all the time, but they're not actually willing to sit with the discomfort of just internal change and internal reckoning, which does often require people leaving the company, not necessarily in a layoff. It's just, Hey, we're moving the culture in this direction. Mm. You can either change with us and we will give you the tools and everything that you need to help you grow and to move in this new direction, or you can go, you know, find a new place to work. And there's just, you know, I think that we're going to move through a pretty great and deep period of discomfort. You know, we're already in it for sure, but I do, I think there's going to be more human in business Yeah, and it will be led from a human standpoint versus just a business and profitability standpoint. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And it's funny as you were, as you were talking, it sort of just came to the forefront, you know, I think the biggest challenge is that, like you said, with with laying people off, the senior managers, the senior teams, um, the discomfort is minimal and short, whereas the discomfort of you have to change, you're the leader, you have to go first. I think that's what so many of these businesses that, that I always call the Titanic, you know, like they take so much to turn around. Um, and even the difference between like I worked at this 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 Channel 9 for my first job and Channel 10 for my last job and Channel 10 was the third rating network. It was like, you know, everyone sort of laughed at Channel 10, but it had this, this ability to flex and move and change and pivot because it wasn't the Titanic. It wasn't stuck in its old ways. Now, it was also not the great, awesome place for women, um, but I think that as we move forward into the new paradigm, I totally agree. I think it's going to be more human-based. You know, as you were speaking again, I'm thinking of the difference between, um, you know, even Apple, you know, while Steve Jobs was still at the helm and Microsoft, 
You know, Microsoft was all just about ripping shit off and making money, whereas Apple's always been about, you know, delivering the best and simplicity and innovation and changing the world and making life easier. So it's not about the product. It's a, it's about, you know, the values that he brought to it, even though he was far from a perfect man. Um, so I do believe that there are these sort of people that are starting to show the way in their imperfect ways. Even Ra Uruhu, who bought all the human design stuff in, like he was far from a perfect man too. But, you know, there's these these sort of renegades that are, that are showing up and they're now turning into these more, um, you know, more human-oriented and into you know, well, why are we doing this? There's got to be something more important than making money because, of course, that's there's so everything's more important because the money just comes. Money comes easily when you're aligned to to what you're here to do and and you know being a part of a team. You know, one of the things I always think about with Cleminger um, is that you know we would often joke like we'd take a bullet for each other, like we whatever we we were always there for each other. And I actually went to. I have to figure out the maths. I think it was the 20-year anniversary I went to a few years ago. And you would think over 20 years, like this is everyone in the last, I think it was like 25, 30 years or whatever, um, was sort of invited along. So you'd think it would be this room full of lots and lots of people, and it really wasn't. It was just these people that, you know, they all looked the same and they all greeted you like long-lost friends and I think that culture is what's moving forward. You know, I even look at my team and my team and my business is just as much about their success as it is about my success. You know, it's not about the money we make. And this is a conversation in the entrepreneurial space. I'm having lots of my friends at the moment. um, And there's going to be, you know, there's something really evolving within me is because I'm fucking tired of hearing make $10,000 a month, you know, like um, you can do it and everything being focused on build a a business and make money because that's not it. That is not the new paradigm, people. I don't give a fuck how much money people are making because we are not all designed to make millions of dollars. But if you're following someone who's making a shit ton of cash and telling you about it, that in if, if you're the the few that are actually designed to earn a shit ton of cash the way that person's designed to to earn it, great, go for gold. But yeah. the the other lot, they're like feeling shit about themselves that they because this was me. I felt shit. Like why can't I convert? Why can't I do their thing? And my greatest lesson is to stop doing everybody else's strategies. Just go deeper on my design. Trust my intuition. Trust my strategy. Trust trust my authority. And going. Down that road, everything amplifies. And you know, as a line three, I want to be able to tell everyone, well, this is exactly the steps that I ta- that I took. But honestly, I don't know all the steps that I took because I was just following my strategy. I was just following my authority. I was just following my intuition. Um, and right. that's not to say that I haven't used strategies over the years, but I really think that this is, um, and I really believe that entrepreneurs are the ones that are really setting the bar for the future. I really do. I said to a friend of mine who I actually used to work with at Channel 9, he's the head of sales at Channel 7 now, um, and a number of years ago I said, you need to get your direct department focused on the small entrepreneurs and make it affordable because if you do that, then you'll have an ongoing income stream, you know, a decade from now. And he just laughed in my face. But it's funny how things are turning around now. Anyway, right. um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think one of the biggest things as we move forward into the future is that we have to stop making success about money 
that's just a byproduct. It's going to come because money is energy and we have to start making it about people, connection, being a part of something greater. That's all I ever cared about, you know, in my advertising career. Like that's all I ever cared about. I wanted to be a part of something greater. And as long as I felt that I was contributing, that I mattered, everything went really well. You know, I never asked for a pay rise in my life and I got a pay rise every six months for the entire 15 years that I was there. So, or in that industry. So anyway, that's my rant. Have you anything that you want to share on that? Or can I, should I let you go? No, I, I'm just one, one final thought is, you know, just to kind of add to what you were saying is, Please. you know, you would, you would mention, you know, make $10,000 a month. I mean, you see that all the time in the coaching industry. It's like, oh, well, like, let me tell you how I made, you know, a million dollars last year and blah, 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 blah. And then, but I want to know how many lives you've changed. Yeah. I want to know the impact that you've had on your clients. And from a business standpoint, what difference have I made in the life of somebody else today? What difference have I made? What difference have I made in their heart and in their soul today to make them feel seen, to make their life a little bit better, to get them a little bit closer to their goals to get them a little bit closer to their family, whatever it might be. That's that's what I want to know. And I think that that, that is the future of business these days. I love that. And I think that's such a beautiful place to to finish because yeah, at the end of the end of the day, that's what we're here for. It's funny you mention it like like the mission of my business is to create raving fans because it presupposes that we are surpassing all their expectations, that we're over-delivering. And, and this is the thing that that's what matters. At the end of the day, yeah. to me, that's what matters, that people are getting the results. Um, and I think that's so beautifully said. So thank you so much, Patrick, for joining. I feel like we could have talked for like three hours, but um, I'll oh, let we you could go. absolutely keep going for sure. I'm, I'm so loving this conversation. I appreciate it. <laughs> thanks for being here. I really, really love chatting to you. And um, thanks everyone else for hanging out and for listening. I'm sure you have details that you want to share, Patrick. Are you doing a podcast or anything that you want to share with people at the moment? Yeah, actually, my podcast, I mean, it launches tomorrow as oh, we are wow, recording that's perfect this. Timing. Talk so about, talk about intuition. Hello. There we go. Yeah. Um, so it's called seeing human with Patrick Murphy and you can find it anywhere. Podcasts are there. I would actually, I would love to have you on a guest uh, as a guest at some point. I'm there. That would be lovely. Just hook um, it in with Taylor and I'm there. Awesome. Yeah. So, so yeah, tune into the seeing human podcast. It's all about unpacking what it means to be human, the process, the mess, the joys, the lows, all of it. And just having very, very real conversations with people and the episodes that I've recorded thus far are just so powerful. I mean, people are showing up just so vulnerably and so open our mutual fin, Jess Bubico, her episode is going to drop later this week. So that'll be live once this, this recording goes live. And um, so, yeah, I would, I would love for people to tune into the Seeing Human podcast. And also, if you want uh, to connect with me, you can reach out on Instagram. It's at murph.live, M-U-R-P-H dot live. And so, yeah, feel free to DM me. And, you know, if you're interested in working with me or just, you know, if something really struck you and you want to chat about it, I love connecting with people. So thank you. Awesome. 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 Check out the podcast, people. I'm sure it's going to be brilliant. Thanks everyone for joining. Thanks, Patrick. And I look forward to having you all on the next podcast. Bye for now. 
Thanks everyone for being here all the way to the end of the podcast. I hope you got lots of value out of it. I certainly had a lot of fun doing it. Could I please ask that you share this podcast with friends if you found it valuable? And also, bonus points, could you leave a review for me as well on Apple? It would be greatly appreciated. If at any point you would like to be on the podcast or you've got questions that you'd like me to discuss on the podcast, by all means, get on my socials and DM me. Everything you need is there in the show notes. Have an awesome day. Bye for now.